0: All right, well, as you can see from the screen, the title of this morning's sermon is The Witness of God is Greater. The Witness of God is Greater. And as I was thinking about that title, a common phrase came to my mind, and it's a common phrase in our culture that all of you have heard in some variation. But it's a variation of this saying that says this, that's stating the obvious, To say that to somebody who is stating something that is so obvious it hardly needs to be spoken. Now that concept is of course said in many other ways. Amongst loving friends it's lovingly communicated. Oftentimes as okay Captain Obvious. When they say something that should not need to even be said. Because it's so clear and it's so obvious. So John is going to begin today's passage with a statement that represents an obvious conclusion. And if I'm paraphrasing it, it's something along these lines. If you readily accept what men say, and John's going to be taking the posture that, and you do, because I see what men have to say influencing your lives. So if you readily accept what men say, then you should certainly accept what God says, because he is God, and thus more greater, much greater and more reliable. Because he is God and thus much greater and more reliable than anything men could have to say. So you might say, well, isn't that the only reasonable conclusion that I would put a greater value on the witness of God than I would on the witness of man? And yes, that should be the only reasonable conclusion, but often, unfortunately, it's not. You might say, well, who wouldn't do that? And I would say, you'll have to just look in the mirror to see one example of that. Someone who, if they're not careful, would be tempted to accept the witness of men over the witness of God. You see, the tragic reality is that saved and unsaved men and women alike consistently place more stock in the testimony of men than they do in the testimony of God. And this is true as it relates to positional truths from the Word of God about how can a sinner... How can an unrighteous man who has nothing good in his flesh and his nature about him, how can that person ever be found to be in a right standing with a, a holy and a perfect and a righteous God? So it affects positional truth. It relates to positional truth that someone might be tempted to accept what men say about that versus what God says about how could a sinful ever, man ever be brought into a right standing with a holy God. And there's lots of examples that you could have about what men say about that truth. You know, religion, I use that term to refer to a desire to approach God on the basis of human effort. I don't necessarily say it in a negative in a negative sense. Like the word itself doesn't really mean anything negative, but I use it in a little bit of a negative sense at time because it's come to, in my mind, just represent a human approach to pleasing God on the basis of human effort instead of a dependence, a complete and total dependence on God's provision to meet man's need apart from man's efforts and apart from work. And so sometimes you'll have the word of God, the testimony of God will declare that there's no way to the Father except for through the Son, Jesus Christ, that salvation is not of works and yet you'll have the testimony of men say the opposite where men will testify that in addition to what God has done for man, that man must have to work hard, do their best for God. And the combination of what God has done for man plus what man now does for God, the combination of the two is what's necessary to bring a sinful man into a right standing with a holy God. That's not what the Bible declares. The Bible declares that it either has to be all a gift or it has to be all works. There can't be a combination of the true the tr- Of the two, the Bible declares that salvation can only be a gift because no matter how good man is, there is not one just man upon the earth that does, has, do, has done good and sins not. That all of our works of righteousness are filthy rags. That the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. That there is none righteous, no, not one. That all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's what God's testimony is. That's what the testimony of God is as it relates to man's need for salvation, man's need for God to provide a way that man could never find on his own. But you see there's a contrast there between what man testifies to about positional truth and what God testifies to about positional truth. The same thing is true as it comes to truths associated with practical Christian living the world very often times is indirectly saying this they're saying that you can fit god in where it's convenient and you can still thrive spiritually that you can seek your own happiness first apart from god and that you'll still be in a good place you could still be in a good place spiritually that's not true testimony of god says seek me first That in my presence is the only place that you can find peace and fullness of joy and contentment and purpose. You can't find it apart from me. See, the testimony of man is that you can compartmentalize your life and you can find little parts that you're going to set aside for God you're going to compartmentalize and say that I'm going to make time for my spiritual life, but I'm going to limit that time. I'm going to put that time in little boxes. And one box that I'm going to put that in is Sunday mornings. Sunday mornings is going to be my God time. Sunday mornings is going to be my time for spiritual life. And, and, and you don't even necessarily, you're not intentionally saying that. That just becomes the case. That you have this routine where you recognize that there's no thriving apart from God. You recognize that there's no thriving apart from fellowship with other believers because that's God's plan. God doesn't make imperfect plans. And so if God says the only way you're going to thrive is through spending time in my word, spending time focused on me, interacting with me through prayer, interacting with other believers in the fellowship of a local church, having an interest in taking me with you and involving me in every facet of your life. That's the testimony of God. We subtly create the testimony of man internally and externally as we unfortunately rub off on each other. We learn from each other. We pattern our lives after each other. And that's no way to to pattern life. That's, That's not a good pattern to be emulating. All of us are imperfect. All of us are flawed in some way. All of us are still unfortunately walking in a direction that is contrary to God's will and word and plan and purpose for our lives at times when we're not yielded to the influence of the Spirit of God in our lives. So we don't look to one another as the example of that. But if we're not careful, we will have limited God and relegated God to these very specific and ultimately too small parts of our life because God says, I don't want a part of your life. I want to live all of your life with you. So anyway, when it relates to practical Christian living, the testimony of men is the testimony that we ourselves have about the importance of the things of faith and the testimony that we see in each other about the importance of the things of faith. And friends, we're not a very good testimony about that for ourselves and for and for others so so should we then seek to be influenced or put greater value in the testimony of ourselves or the testimony of others or when it comes to practical Christian living should we find our example should we find our blueprint in the testimony of God as it relates to the direction and and the way that we should go about living the Christian life John makes it real clear the testimony of God the witness of God should be much greater We shouldn't seek to have our lives informed by looking at our own lives or looking at each other's lives. We should seek the testimony of God to give us direction to make changes and adjustments to the things in our life that are out of balance. And friends, there are things that are out of balance in your life. There are things that are out of balance in my life. God wants to show us those imbalances, and he wants to direct us in a way that would be more beneficial to us. Remember that God is for us. He's not against us. God wants, has our best in mind all of the time, not just some of the time. So as he gives us direction through his word, as his spirit seeks to convict us about needed changes in our lives, as he seeks to influence us through the testimony and the encouragement and the, and the fellowship with other believers in our lives, it's for our good. And so John is gonna make this really clear point here That if we readily accept the testimony of man, then we should more readily accept the witness of God because the witness of God is far more reliable. You see, the witness and testimony of men, it can take various forms. It can come from various sources. In general, you could be looking at just worldliness, world viewpoint in general. World viewpoint in general is just any way of thinking that Excludes God. It doesn't include His perspective in it. So the thinking of man or the testimony of men that is informed from the influence of the world as opposed to being informed by the influence of the Word of life, the Word of truth, the gospel of our salvation, the truth that God has communicated to us through His Word. That is what we would be talking about when we're talking about the various different. Types of witness of men. Sometimes it's coming from people directly. Sometimes it's coming through your cell phone. Sometimes it's coming through the interwebs. Sometimes it's coming through social media. Sometimes it's coming through uh, what you're influenced by, what you're watching in terms of television, what you're reading in terms of news articles, internet articles, books that have been written by other people. That is the testimony of men. Sometimes it's looking at and being informed by even Your internal thoughts and beliefs, your internal prejudices that you have had over time that you're not even aware of. Some of the things that you have grown up with, some of the thoughts that you've developed that never were informed by the Word of God, they were never influenced by the Word of God. Well, that's yourself testifying to yourself. You are, in fact, a part of mankind. Sometimes it's your feelings. To be influenced by the testimony of men. A lot of times you're talking about your own testimony. That you're being directed by or influenced by your own feelings. Now, is that, can that be useful in directing you? To some extent, God gave you feelings. But should, th- should that be the thing that is primarily directing you? And the answer is no. Sometimes it's your emotions. Very similar to feelings. And the testimony of your emotions, the testimony of men, is what is directing you to make decisions in particular circumstances instead of the testimony of God. You see, when you're feeling something, when you're having some type of an emotional response, when you're thinking something, you have a thought that has come from your past in some way, shape, or form, the question is, are all of those things bad? The answer is no. But the real focus is, are those going to be the things that you rely on to direct you in your life to testify and give you a purpose or an idea of how you should move forward? Or are you going to take in those thoughts, take in those feelings and emotions, but then gauge them against the testimony of God, the witness of God, and say, I know that the witness of God is the ultimate God. I know it's the ultimate source. So I'm going to hold those thoughts, feelings, emotions. I'm going to heal. I'm going to hold up the things that I'm hearing externally. So that was internal. I'm going to hold up the things I'm hearing externally from all of those various sources of men. I'm going to hold all of that though up to the witness of God and I'm going to say the thing that's going to take priority in my thinking, the thing that's going to have preeminence in my direction is going to be what does the word of God say instead of what do what do my own thoughts say? What do my own emotions say? What do my own feelings say? What do the people around me say? What does the news around me say? What does the social media around me say? What does the internet say? I'm going to hold all that up to the testimony or the witness of God. So that's the basic thought for today's message, if, if that's all you can take in. I know we live in a world where more and more we take things in sound bites. So there's the sound bite. The testimony of God should be held up as superior to the testimony of man. If you're looking for your direction in life, you should find it in this book first. You should gauge everything else against the standard of this book. When you're thinking something or about to move out in a certain direction, you should ask yourself, which principle from the word of God, which passage from the word of God, which text from the word of God is informing my thoughts in this particular matter? And if you don't have any principles or thoughts or texts that is coming from the word of God that's informing or directing you in the direction that you're seeking to move, I would say caution, danger. There's danger there. I would say pause, pause for a moment. Relax for a moment and take the time to ask how would the Lord's word direct me? How would God's direct me in this way instead of just being directed by the witness of men around me? so that 's the nutshell so john 's going to specifically target testimony of men versus the testimony of God as it relates to the person and work of Jesus, which has been the primary topic here of. chapter five, So that was a little broader. John is a little bit more specific. He's going to say there's different testimony from men about the person and work of Jesus Christ and there's the testimony of God as it relates to the person and work of Jesus Christ. One is far superior and that's the testimony of God. So if you haven't already, turn if you will to 1 John chapter 5. We're going to take a look at a couple of verses here from 1 John chapter 5 this morning. Let's pick up by reading, starting in verse 1 of chapter 5. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. That's the only condition to being born into the family of God. And everyone who loves him, who begot, also loves him who is begotten of him. It's impossible, he's saying, to presently be loving the one who begot, All believers, while at the same time not loving those that he begot. So that's complicated, I guess, uh, the way it's written, but it's sort of simple. Everyone who has put their faith in Christ is a child of God. You can't be loving the one who made the children if you're currently hating the children or not loving the children. So if you love the father, you have to love his children also, I guess is the easier way to say that. So by this then, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. So loving God's children is consistent with God's will, his purpose, and his revealed direction for our lives. He says, love one another as I have loved you. Verse three, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments because his commandments are not burdensome. So to love God would be to see that he knows best, to see that he has a plan for our lives that is intended to benefit us, to see that there's no way to improve on something that is perfect. So if God has a perfect plan and direction for our lives, then to be recognizing that in the moment, to be presently understanding that, is to then move forward and heed the direction that he has for our lives. It's not burdensome. For whatever is born of God, verse 4, overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So how do we overcome the world? Through faith in the one who is the overcomer, which is God himself through the person of Jesus Christ as he had that final victory over sin, death, the grave. Verse 5, who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So the one who is presently overcoming the world is the one who is presently believing that Jesus is the Son of God. It is him that ultimately gives us the victory. Verse 6, this is he, speaking of Jesus now, who came by water and blood. Jesus Christ, not only by water, but by water and blood, and it is the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is truth. And we talked about a few different interpretations of what that is referring to, but this, the main idea was that there is this evidence that has been provided to confirm the authenticity of Jesus Christ. And I took the view that the water there referenced the baptism of Jesus Christ where the Father was present and said, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. The Spirit of God was there as a dove alighting on Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ himself was there and there was this public proclamation that this is Jesus, the very Son of God deity, the Savior of the world, the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world and that's how Jesus' public ministry began and of course it ended with the blood his sacrifice on the cross as he cried out it is finished the sin debt penalty that was owed by all men for all time had been fully satisfied by his substitutionary propitiatory work on behalf of sinners and then the third evidence was that the spirit of God himself bears witness because the spirit is truth the spirit of God Now indwells every believer the moment of faith in the Son of God as the down payment or the surety of our salvation. Verse 7, for there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. We talked about how that sentence in all likelihood ends with, for there are three that bear witness. And there are three that bear witness on earth, probably inserted there in later texts, but So the full reading there would be for there are three that bear witness and then you would go to the end of verse 8, the spirit, the water, and the blood and these three agree as one. And if you want more example, more discussion about that textual variant there, you can listen to that message online from last week. Now we come to verse 9. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater for this is the witness of God which he has testified of his son. Verse 10, he who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. Lord willing, those are the verses we're gonna get through here this morning. Let's pick up in verse nine. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God, is greater for this is the witness of God which he has testified of his son. So John is going to open up this section here as I spoke of in my opening remarks. He's going to pick up this section with this simple logical argument. People, he's going to say, regularly rely upon the testimony of their flawed fellow human beings. He's saying that is something that is common. We actually see that here with the if. The if here is an if, is a first class condition in the Greek language, a statement that is assumed to be true. So you would say, "If we receive the witness of men readily, and we do, if this happens and it does happen, is how you take that." So the statement is assumed to be true that we do receive the witness of men. He's saying we regularly. Do this. And as you think about that, think about John's day. Now, it's true in our day, too, where we regularly hear things. We take it in without any amount of effort to confirm the validity of what is said. We take it in and then we go one step further. We then start to communicate that to anyone and everyone who will listen in our lives, having never authenticated what was said to begin with. It just was said by somebody, so we pass it along. And in fact, that's one of the things that largely has gotten me to 99.5% off of social media is because I would see things that were said by one person and I would see within minutes, if it seemed clever, if it sounded well-written, it would just go across the pages of so many people that I knew. No, that's not that's not me attacking you or saying anything negative about you. I, I'm not even talking about you. I'm talking about the person sitting next to you. <laughs> not, I'm actually not talking about that person either. You might be related. The person next to them. three Three down. Look for the first gap in your row. It's the person on the other side of the gap. <laughs> the point just being... I think we've come into, we've got to a place where this has likely always been true, but we're in a place where if somebody says something, uh, we're we're very likely to just repeat it or accept it as true. At a minimum, let's not get too deep on this, at a minimum we should at least consider, is the thing that's being said, is it going to be uplifting in terms of my primary My primary calling, which is to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ. Is it going to be encouraging? If I were to repeat this, is this going to encourage anyone? Is it going to be edifying? Is what is being said consistent with a known principle from the Word of God? Is it consistent with a known passage from the Word of God? Is this something that is worthy of my repetition? Is this even worthy of my consideration, let alone my repetition? And that's the end of that soapbox. But in John's day, this is especially true that the witness of men is largely what you'd have to go off. Because we get get witness and we get testimony in our day and age by a lot of other sources too where we can make a firsthand conclusion. Now, it may be right, it may be wrong, it may be thoughtful, it may be thoughtless, it may be a logical conclusion, it, it may not be, but we get to at least make that conclusion ourselves if we were to see a video of it. Now, if we see a video of it, we're not taking somebody's word for it, right? We're not, it's not necessarily the testimony of man. It's an actual visual testimony of apparently what happened. But can a camera angle skew what's happening? If it's zoomed in too much and you don't get the full panorama of what's happening, can it skew perspective? In fact, does the news actually edit clips and use clips in a way that would create a certain impression when if you had been there in person, you would never have reached that conclusion? How many of you have seen examples of that where because of the way it was zoomed in on or the way it was edited, it, it portrayed a certain storyline. It presented a certain conclusion that they wanted you to reach, but it actually, even though it was based on video evidence, it wasn't It wasn't real I mean it wasn't authentic it wasn't legitimate because it had been manipulated and I'm not talking about the next level which is that the image itself could be artificially manipulated it could have been cleverly edited I'm talking about it's actually showing real-time video but it's just not showing enough of it or how about this this is more often It's that they don't show a long enough section of it. They don't show what happened just before that or what happened after that. So some of it is field of view. They only show a very narrow part of it. Some of it is they don't show enough context for you to have any real sense that you could make an accurate conclusion or presumption or assumption, I should say, about what was happening. But that's with video evidence. How about audio evidence? You know, if there was, if there's an audio recording, at a minimum, we could often agree to what was said at least for that part of the audio recording. If you have a, a text message or an email, you could. There wouldn't be much dispute about what exactly was written there. It's written there. Now, can that be stripped of context too? Sure. Uh, but there's more authenticity. There's. E- it's easier to verify that than it is the testimony of men. Now, now come back to John's day. There isn't DNA. There isn't fingerprints. This was especially true in the ancient world where there was no technologically based physical evidence like pictures, audio, video recordings, DNA, or fingerprints. The testimony of men is how things were determined, how right from wrong was determined. In fact, if you go back to the Mosaic law as given by God to the nation of Israel, there was very specific portions put in there about the testimony of men. And that, for it to be, when it came to important things like capital capital crimes, that those allegations about about leaders, so there was allegations about leaders, uh, allegations that related to capital criminal uh, offenses, that they had to be based on the testimony of two or more two or three witnesses. They couldn't be based on just one witness's testimony. And so, when you're thinking about the testimony of men, it, it is readily received. It was. Readily receive. So John's main point is if, if we receive the witness of men and we do, the witness of God is greater. The witness of God is greater. And I, I couldn't fit it all up there, but that's the clause we're looking at here. So we do readily receive the witness of men. The witness of men is, the ba- is based on flawed human beings, imperfect human beings. So that's not all that reliable. So his main point here is this. If you are willing to believe what men say based upon what they know or have seen, then you should have no trouble believing the testimony of the all-knowing God who provided ample evidence of the legitimacy or authenticity of Jesus' person and work. Now that's the context here. We're talking about the proclamation or the witness of God as it relates to the authenticity of who Jesus is and what did He do for mankind. That's the testimony that John is after here. And John is saying that God authenticated that in many different ways, and we kind of looked at his whole public ministry. Jesus' whole public ministry was geared towards establishing the authenticity of who he was so that those would put, people would put their faith in him, that they would see what he had done, that they would see him as the Savior, they would see him as... God himself, God become man, and they would put their faith in his redemptive work on their behalf. That was the whole purpose in him going through much of that public ministry was to establish himself as the one that is worthy of your faith when it comes to these eternal spiritual matters. And so that's John's point here. If you're going to accept the testimony of men so readily and you do in every facet of your lives, why wouldn't you except the testimony of the all-knowing God of the universe, the one who created the earth itself. So then the second part of this first verse is, for this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his son. For this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his son. So the idea here is John is clarifying that the authentication of Jesus was provided by God himself. This is the witness of God. This is not just based on the eyewitness testimony that was available to many of these early Christians. You'll recall that many of those that had seen the resurrected Savior were still alive for quite a number of years. And and in fact, when this is being written, some of them were still alive in all likelihood. Now you're getting on the long end of that here. But for decades, there would have been people We know at a minimum there was 500 plus people who witnessed the resurrected Savior. There have been first-hand witnesses there. John starts out this book by talking about the apostolic witness, you'll recall. If you went back to chapter 1, he's saying, these are things that I have seen. We, he says in a collective royal sense, we have seen and we have heard. Now we're going to declare and testify to you. He's talking about his own life experience along with the other apostles that he had lived life with Jesus. And now listen to me when I tell you about... The things that he preached, the things that he said, I want you to be convinced to put your trust in the truth of those things also, because that is the key to you maximizing the joy available to you in this life. It can only be done through having a, an acceptance of the truth of what Jesus claimed, so that you would desire to live life in dependence on Him, with your focus on Him, as led and directed by His Spirit, while enjoying intimacy of fellowship with Him. That. That's the only way to experience joy. And this whole letter is written to you that you would experience the maximum joy that's available in your life. It can't be done apart from a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and living life with him in fellowship as you go about life. That has been the theme of this book. And so John has been saying the point of this little section is just to show that God himself has authenticated Jesus Christ for the purpose that you would see and put your faith in the authenticity or legitimacy of Jesus as the appropriate object of your faith. See what was God's ultimate purpose in authenticating Jesus so thoroughly? In demonstrating so thoroughly that Jesus is the only reasonable object of our faith. The legitimacy of who Jesus was and what he had done. What was God's ultimate purpose in showing that he was a worthy object of your faith? Well, ultimately, it's because God is, more than anything, interested in your salvation. You're putting your confidence and faith in Jesus Christ. And if Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, all singular, there's no other way to the Father. I am the I am the door by me. If anyone enters in, he shall be saved. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father apart by me, apart from me. So if Jesus is the exclusive way to have access to the Father through faith in the finished work of Jesus on behalf of sinners, then what was the ultimate objective here? It was that you would believe, that you would put your faith in him. Remember that God wants to live life with you. He wants to spend eternity in heaven with you. He wants you to be born into his family by faith in the work of his son. And then we see that here in John 20, 30 through 31. John in his gospel, he's saying, the main purpose in, in God authenticating the legitimacy of Jesus was so that you would believe. And it says this, and truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples. So John is kind of having this little mini conclusion here where he's saying, I have just got done talking about the work and the life of Jesus, his earthly ministry. He did all these things. Why was I telling you about those things? To authenticate who Jesus was. But he's saying here, there's many other things that I could have told you about that Jesus did that made it crystal clear that he was who he said he was. So there's many other things that he did in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. But these, these that are written in this book, they're written that for what purpose? That says it's a purpose clause following. That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, with what ultimate purpose in mind? That in believing, you would then have life through his name. There's only one way to have life. And we'll get to that the next time I speak in in 1 John. The one who has the son has life. The one who doesn't have the son does not have life. It's that simple. That's the underlying thought. That's the underlying theme there. So now you're thinking about the witness of God versus the witness of men. If you're here today and you're not saved, you haven't put your faith in Jesus Christ, which witness are you effectively accepting? The witness of men or the witness of God. Now, if you haven't put your trust in the one that God himself held up as the only worthy object of your faith, then in in effect, you're putting your confidence in the witness of men. Now, I'll ask you, how reasonable is that? You don't have to think very far to think of the last time you put your confidence in a person only to find out that that confidence was misplaced. That person let you down. You don't have to think very hard to think of the last time you accepted something as true that was communicated to you by men only to then find out after the fact that that person was a liar or that person had misrepresented the truth or that person was ill-informed. You know, they don't always have bad motives. Sometimes they mean well. But you came to find out that they were wrong. You don't have to think very far back to, to find the last time that happened. So when it comes to your eternal destiny... Would you really? Are you really wanting to put your confidence in mankind's testimony or witness about matters of faith, as compared to the witness of God Himself? And and I would suggest that that doesn't make sense. What does God ultimately say about Jesus? He's the only way to access heaven. What does God say about your need? It says that all men need to be saved because all men were born in sin. All men were born separated from God as a byproduct of being sinners themselves and being born into a race of sinners. That if something wasn't done about the sin, then the sinner could never be in close proximity to the holy God who is perfect. A perfect and holy God can't have a relationship with sin. A just God can't ignore sin either because justice demands that there be a penalty for transgression. So a just and a fair and a righteous and a holy God can't just ignore sin, but you're born as a sinner. You're identified as a sinner. So then you have to see what God says about the solution to your problem, which was that Jesus became sin for you. He went and died on a cross where the Father took all of the sin of the world, your sins and my sins, and he poured them out on his son. So as his, his, as his son was nailed to a cross dying in your place, all of your sin is what was killing him effectively. All of your sin is what was being put on him. And so he died and he effectively said, I love you this much. All of your sin was then paid for by his substitutionary death on your behalf. So he died in your place. Now, wouldn't it be foolish if one was willing to and had already died in your place? Wouldn't it be be silly for you to still die in, in the place of yourself because you rejected the salvation that was available to you? You see, your only response to what Jesus did for you on the cross is to say, I'll put my trust in that. I'll accept that. The moment you accept that, that blood that was shed is applied to your account. Now your account is in a right standing with God, not on the basis of anything you've done for God, but on the basis of God's sacrifice, his shedding of blood being applied to your account. Now your account can be put into a place where it can be acceptable to God, not because you're acceptable, but because you are standing in the shoes of the sacrifice of the Son. He is wrapping His righteousness around you. He is crediting His righteousness to your sinful account. So know that God, if He looks at you because of your faith in the work of His Son, He can say, You are now acceptable to me, not because you are acceptable, but because you have accepted the work of my Son on your behalf. Now you are in a right standing with me, or can be on the basis of your faith in what I have done through you through the work of my son, not on the basis of anything that you've done for me. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Jesus says, do you believe this? Do you believe that I am who I said I am, that I've done what I said I did, that it was fully satisfying of the debt that was owed by you and every other sinner? Do you accept that? That's what God says your response needs to be to the message of good news, of Christ dying in your place. So if you're here today and you haven't saw your need, saw God's solution to your need, accepted or responded in the way that God dictates, which is to believe in the name of the Son of God. Put your faith in what Christ has done for you, how he died, he was buried, and he rose again for you. And if you will do that today, You are in effect now saying, I think the testimony of God is more reliable than the testimony of men. Because men say you don't need God. The testimony of men is that you need to do your part to please God. The testimony of men is there is no God. If you want to put your eggs in that basket, that's fine, but you're going to live with that decision for all of eternity as you spend all of eternity separate from the place where God is. See, God loves you desperately. He doesn't want you to spend eternity separated from him. He wants you to spend eternity with him. The place where he is is a place that he calls heaven, paradise. The place that he is not is a place of torment, a place that was prepared for the fallen angels who had rejected God. Do you really want to cast your lot with them and spend all of eternity separated from the one who loves you because you will not believe in the name of the Son of God? Well, that's ultimately your choice, but there are those that do make that decision to put their confidence in the testimony of men as superior to the witness of God. And the witness of God, I submit, is far more reliable than the witness of men as it relates to anything. Now you're sitting here today and you've got, well, he gave me a free pass. I believed in Jesus long ago. He's not talking to me. Well, the fact of the matter is when it comes to your tendency to put your confidence in the testimony of God or the testimony of men, you're faced with the same exact question, are you more prone to accept the witness of God in your life? Or are you more prone to accept the witness of men to direct your life? Think that in your mind. Am I generally more prone to accept the testimony of God to direct my life or the testimony of men? What am I more susceptible to? What am I more likely to heed? Now, Most people, I wouldn't say all believers, but most believers would say, I aspire to put a greater value on the testimony of God than the testimony of men. You're in a really bad place if you don't even, if that's not even your desire. But many believers would say, that's my general desire, to put a higher value on the testimony of God than the testimony of men. All right, good. But practically speaking, are you doing that? And the answer is no not if you're not living life with your eyes focused on the author and finisher of your faith, not if you're not living life by means of the Spirit of God directing your life, because left to your own devices, even though you're a son of God, even though your destiny is sure, even though your final position in heaven is guaranteed by the person and work of Jesus Christ and the sealing of the Holy Spirit, in this life, there's absolutely no guarantee that you'll experience the quality of life that God has for you apart from him. In fact, you absolutely will not. So which one are you giving greater value to? And I submit to you and I submit to myself that more often than not, it's the witness of man that is ultimately directing our thoughts, directing our lives, and that includes our own witness internally. So don't be deceived. God says there is no life there is no present life, there's no joy, no purpose, no contentment, there's no peace apart from him. But man is saying those things are all found elsewhere. They're found in the things of the world, the thinking of the world, chasing after the next bit of greener grass. You just have to keep searching for it and maybe you'll find it. That's what the world say. Are you believing that this morning? Are you believing the testimony of men this morning about what will satisfy your soul? About what will give you happiness? Are you believing the testimony of men that you just have to keep searching and you might just find that thing that you're looking for? Or are you gonna accept the testimony of God that I'm everything you've been looking for and I'm right in front of you? And as a believer, I'm right inside of you. And my word is readily available to you. Find your direction, your peace, your joy, your purpose, find it in my word, find it in living life with me in a relationship with me. Verse 10, he who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. So he who believes in the Son has the witness in himself. And of course all that wouldn't fit up there, but believes in the Son. This is the condition precedent, meaning this this has to be true in order for you to have the witness in yourself. He's saying the one who is presently believing in the Son of God has the witness in himself. But in order for that to be true, you have to first believe in the Son of God. Now this is present tense. Referring to action in process or a present state of being. Are you presently believing in the Son of God? It's active voice too. The subject is performing the verbal action. You're the one believing. God doesn't make you believe. God doesn't make you continue to have your confidence and your focus and your trust in Him. You have to choose that for yourself. You have to get your eyes off of yourself, get your eyes off of your own understanding, get your eyes off the world around you, get your eyes off the human viewpoint that's been directing your thinking and get your eyes vertical, get your focus vertical, get your mind on Him so that His Spirit can influence your thinking so that you can be directed by divine viewpoint in your mind. That you can fill your mind with divine viewpoint that's found in the word of God. That's what it means to be presently believing in the Son of God. It has nothing to do with your eternal destiny. We're talking about a walk of faith right now. We're talking about Christian living, living the Christian life. Are you presently, walking and living life in a manner that says, I'm convinced that God knows best. I'm convinced that God's way is the only way for me. I'll heed his direction for my life. I'll allow his spirit to direct my life. I won't try to do this through my own power, through my own strength. I won't lean on my own understanding. I'm going to seek to have him give me direction and understanding. And I'm going to allow him to work in and through me. I'm going to get myself out of the way and just be a vessel, a willing vessel that he can work through, an instrument in the hand of the creator, the instrument in the hand of the builder, the one who is ultimately building all good things. I'm going to be a tool in his hand, just a, a vessel, a clay pot that could carry his goodness, that could reflect his goodness into the world around me. So the focus here, as it has been throughout the letter, is present fellowship. Or in other words, a believer's continuing walk of faith, as I just said. Now this person who is presently believing in the Son of God presently has the witness in himself. This is the corresponding result. So the condition precedent was, are you presently believing in the Son? Now the result of doing that is that you have the witness in yourself. It's a statement of fact. There's no doubt about it. As I said, it's also present tense. It's active voice here too, but here the focus is a little different. The subject is in the state that is described by the verb. So you're in the state of being a witness. You're in the state of having that witness in yourself if you are presently believing in the Son of God. Now there's no, I'm not certain about what this refers to exactly. And I couldn't find anyone that seemed real certain about it. But these are likely a few things that are referred to. I think it's more than one thing here. I think there's a lot of truth packed into this. The person who's presently believing in the Son of God is presently having or has presently the witness in himself. Well, here's a few parts to it. Partially it refers to the Holy Spirit's work within the believer. So that's having the witness in yourself presently as the Spirit is presently actively working in your life because you're presently believing in the Son of God. You're a yielded instrument for the Spirit of God to now work through. We're talking about direction for your life. We're talking about the Spirit of God's enablement and empowerment in your life. This is a byproduct of intimate fellowship which definitely is the focus of this. It's just exactly what is it referring to. This is a big part of it. It has the witness in himself, the Spirit of God, that intimate fellowship is, ex- is ex- existing at the same time that you're presently believing in the Son of God. You're, you're having that confidence and that focus of conviction that what God says is true, what God directs in my life is best, and as the Spirit of God then undertakes to make that the reality in your life, then you experience that intimate fellowship that God is wanting to have with you. And again, God doesn't force this on you. He doesn't force you to presently believing, be believing and, and thus he doesn't force you to presently have the witness in yourself in the sense of this being directed by the Spirit of God. Now you automatically have the Spirit of God in you regardless of whether you're presently believing or not, but the Spirit of God isn't actively presently working in your life apart from your positive volitional response to God and saying, I have a desire I want to be used of you. Let me get out of your way, get my eyes on you, get my focus on you so that you're free then to work in my life. A second part of has the witness in himself, I believe it's also referring to this idea of internalizing by faith the testimony of God regarding Jesus, which is what the immediate context is about here. You see, the witness would now be in himself in the form of personal belief. So the one who is believing presently in the Son of God is now presently, having that internalized faith in the Son of God within himself as a witness. So I also think it's referring to this, the practical experience of enjoying intimate fellowship with the Father. I already spoke to that. The manner of living, your, your walk of faith, living by means of the Spirit, focused on the personal experience side of this, experientially living life with God as you enjoy his proclamation of the truths about the Son of God, his direction for your life, his provision for your life, his spirit making all of that possible in your life. And again, it's not automatic. So we have Paul pleading this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. He's saying, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, I beg you, to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, this manner of living, That if you're presently believing, then you're presently having the witness in yourself. You're experiencing this present walk of faith that God intends for you to have. God's begging you through Paul in this passage, walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Don't just waste your life. Now, a last potential reference here as to what this means or what this involves or includes. This person who's presently believing has The witness in himself that it's referring to a believer's present testimony to others about Jesus. If you're presently believing, then it's natural that the byproduct of that would be your proclamation of that truth that you yourself have come to believe. You'd have that witness in yourself. Through you, there would be this witness of what had been declared about the person and work of Jesus Christ as evidenced by the Son of God himself as... Uh, sorry, as evidenced by God Himself th- about the authenticity about his Son, you would then, having accepted that, have an, as a witness in yourself to others that same proclamation of that same truth that you came to accept that God had presented and revealed to you. so you see second Timothy one eight here, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. you see God is revealing he 's authenticating the testimony of our lord that 's what this context is about now that testimony would become present to others do not be ashamed of that don't be ashamed of me his prisoner but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of god how would you do that you'd share in his sufferings by proclaiming the testimony about jesus that was testified to by the son by god himself through the baptism of jesus the death of jesus the indwelling of the holy spirit inside of you those different forms of authentication. Now, what is the power source for all of this? According to the power of God, you'll never be an effective witness for God apart from his power working inside of you. Now, does God want you to be a witness for him? The answer is yes. Luke eight thirty nine says, Jesus had just healed this man who had been indwelt by demons. He had just healed him, and this is what he says to him now. Return to your own house and tell what great things God has done for you. And he went his way. Now think about this as a testimony. He went his way and he proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. We can't even proclaim God's goodness and what he's done for us in our own workplace, let alone throughout the whole city. We should should want to tell everybody about who God is, how he sent his son as a savior of the world, what he's done for us and how easy it is to get in on that. So are you presently experiencing God's witness about Jesus in and through you, in and through your life? Are you practically appropriating the intimate fellowship available to you, living life in a manner that's inextricably linked to him, in a manner that testifies about him? Well, that will only be true if you're presently believing in the Son of God in a practical Christian living, kind of a way where you see that's the only way that I'm going to experience success. Now, he who does not believe God has made him a liar. He who does not believe God has made him a liar. So, the main thought here is, He has made him, God, a liar. That's the thought. He has made. That's the primary subject and the primary verb. So, does not believe God is, in fact, not the primary part of the sentence. The primary part of the sentence is, He has made God a liar. Now, how is that person that's made God a liar described? Well, so, the result of not accepting the provided testimony about Jesus is clear. You're calling God a liar effectively. So when you think about how is that person, though, who's calling God a liar described, they're described as the person who does not believe. And does not believe is a participle that describes as a verbal adjective the one who has call, called God a liar. Now, how did he call God a liar? We're not talking about actually calling God a liar. How is he calling God a liar? By rejecting the person and work of his son. That's how a person is effectively calling God a liar is by rejecting the testimony about the son of God as provided by God Himself. So this could also refer to the byproduct of not presently walking in fellowship. But the perfect tense here signifies that there's something that has happened in the past that has enduring results in the future. So this person right now is present, is in the past, has made God a liar. By some decision in the past, they've made God a liar. Well, what was that decision? That decision was that they had rejected the testimony about the Son of God. So it's not in the present tense. Making God a liar is something that was done in the past. So I think it's more likely that this is a continuation of this idea of rejecting God, which is going to come in this next thought too at a point of time in the past because the last clause that we'll look at here is also, in the past, in the perfect tense, saying that this has happened in the past. In the past, they did not believe the testimony of God we're going to see, and that is ineffectively then in the past, having called God a liar. Now, the enduring result in the, fut- in the present is that it has affected their standing, their positional standing. Now, the question is is that true on a practical level, though, with Christians as well? Can you make God out to be a liar presently by presently not believing in? the person and work of Jesus Christ? And the answer is, of course. Is there a present tense application here? Yes. Is there an application to the Christian's life here? Yes. You are making God a liar in your life as a believer every single time you refuse to take him at his word. Every time you trust the world or trust the testimony of men over trusting the testimony of God, every time you refuse to trust him with your life, every time you refuse to take him at his word, you are making God a liar. Christians do that all the time. There's a definite application to practical Christian living here. But there's also an application here to a point in time rejection of the person and work of Jesus Christ. If you reject Jesus Christ at a point in time in the past, and that's what this is talking about here, because, because why is the person making God to be a liar? It's because they have not believed the testimony It signals that this is the explanation for why it is that they're making God a liar. Has not believed here again is the perfect tense. Has not believed was a a completed verbal action in the past. It has ongoing present results. The ongoing present results for that one who rejected the person and work of Jesus Christ is that they made God out to be a liar. By rejecting the testimony of his Son, rejecting the testimony of the Spirit of God, rejecting the testimony of God himself about the person and work of the Son of God. You see, rejecting God's provision is the same as rejecting him. That's what John 3.18 says. He who believes, has believed, is not condemned. But he who believes not is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. That is what is condemning mankind is refusing to believe in the Son of God. So the overall idea here with this last section is never having believed in the person and work of Christ at a past point in time is directly linked to effectively having called God a liar. So our title was The Witness of God is Greater. That should be a statement of the obvious. The testimony of God obviously is far superior to the testimony of man, but you still have to decide that for yourself. At some point in time in the past, you have to decide when it comes to the testimony about the person person and work of Jesus as it relates to your own salvation, you have to make a decision. Am I gonna put my confidence exclusively in the finished work of Jesus Christ on my behalf? But every single day, every single moment of every day, you have to make a decision over time, am I going to accept the testimony or the witness of God as being superior to the testimony or witness of man? You gotta make that choice over and over and over again. Am I gonna trust God and what he says or am I gonna trust myself or what men say as, as being true? Or, so the two options are really, are you going to accept and live in light of the testimony of God, the testimony that God has given about his son? The other option is, are you going to reject God and make him out to be a liar? Those are the two options that you have at a point in time. Those are the two options that you have over the course of time too. I hope you conclude and keep on concluding. That the witness of God should be accepted is much greater than the witness of men. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this time here this morning. Thank you that we could spend that time together. Thank you that we even have the opportunity to celebrate some of the sacrifice that was done on behalf of everyone in this country by various men and women over the course of time. Pray that we would have a thankfulness for that. Pray that we would most and First and foremost, though, be thankful for the freedom that that gives us to be more effective ambassadors for you than would otherwise be possible apart from those freedoms. Pray that we wouldn't, we wouldn't get too wide or too broad in our focus, but that we would see that the, ma- the main thing we need to be thankful for is the freedom to freely and publicly proclaim you to a lost and dying world around us. Pray that that would be our mission Pray that we would strive together as a church family for the furtherance of the gospel in that way. In Jesus' name, amen.